Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter number 40. Psalms, chapter number 40 this morning. I appreciate all the good singing, the congregational, and the choir, and the special. I appreciate the good spirit that we felt here, and the good fellowship, and the friendliness. And I appreciate the Holy Ghost. I appreciate His presence and power and working. And let's all try to be submitted to the work of the Lord this morning in our hearts and lives. God doesn't do anything against our will. You know it. We have to submit ourselves to Him. But if we'll submit ourselves to Him, He can work in our hearts and lives. And so let's have that attitude about us this morning. Psalms chapter number 40. I'd like to read the first three verses, just the first three, and then we'll pray. David is writing this psalm, and he says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. I tell you, it's not very long. Let's read it once more. Just let it soak in. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me, and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need your help this morning. I'm weak, I'm frail. God, I'm unable in the preaching, Lord, and I just ask that you would manifest your presence and power amongst us. Lord, I'm but clay, and I'm but dust. God, I know that you're the Almighty God that sits upon the circle of the earth and is able to work in our hearts and lives. And so I ask you, before all these here, I ask you to accomplish it, Lord. Forfeiting any glory that I could claim, I ask you to do it in a way that would manifest your power. And your glory. Father, if there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, I pray that you'd save them before it'd be everlasting too late. God, that you'd draw our minds back to Calvary and the sweet and blessed truth of your love that's been shown, commended towards us while we were yet sinners. Father, we love you this morning. We ask all this in the magnificent name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we read this psalm, the Bible tells us that this was written to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Most of us are familiar with what psalms are. Psalms were songs that were written for the purpose of public worship. And you know, I believe the book of Psalms is one of the most important books in all the Word of God. Now, every uh, book in the Word of God is inspired. Every uh, chapter, every verse, every line, every jot, and every tittle of the Word of God is inspired, and it will not pass away. But it seems like there are certain books that God puts an emphasis on. It fascinates you to see how many times that the book of Psalms is quoted in the New Testament. I mean, time and time again. And I believe that as we read the book of Psalms, we gain an understanding of the mind of God and of the relationship between God and between His children. We do not know the context of this psalm. Uh, We understand from what's said in it that David has been going through a difficult time in his life. You know, we're all going to go through difficult times. 
I don't care whether the sun is shining today, storm clouds will push their way in. Uh, but thank the Lord that even though sun clouds may, or uh, storm clouds may push their way in, uh, that they're not long before they'll break and the sun will shine again. David is writing about a difficult time that he went through in his life. It may have been when he was on the run from Saul. Uh, Saul had uh, been the king of Israel, and uh, God had given him opportunity after opportunity, and he had sinned and hardened his heart, turned away from God. And David, the young shepherd boy, anointed by Samuel to be the true and honored king of Israel, was set up uh, to be the king. And Saul hated him, despised him, and sought to kill him. And David spent many a weary night out in the wilderness running from Saul, and it may have been on one of these nights that David sat down and penned these words. It could have been that uh, as he sat and recollected the time when because of his own sin he had lost uh, his little baby child because of his own iniquity, that he thought about that horrible pit. It might be later on in his life when he was uh, fleeing from his own son Absalom who had uh, staged a coup and a revolt and a rebellion against his kingdom uh, that he wrote this psalm. We do not know. Uh, but that's one of the beautiful things about the Word of God. My situation does not have to be just like David's uh, for the Word of God to comfort and encourage me. And as I read this passage, I'm conscious that while uh, this could certainly apply to the difficult situations we face in life, you may feel like you're in some miry clay right now. And can I say that the good God of heaven, if you have a relationship with Him, uh, is more than satisfied to pull you out of your circumstance when the time is right and His will has been accomplished. Uh, But I would say that there's also an application of this passage that if you know the Lord, you can identify with. You see, when I see David in this pit, I don't just see a king that's fallen on hard times. I don't just see a man that's going through a difficult circumstance. But I see a picture of each and every lost individual in this world when they come to the know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I see a ten-year-old boy that I was on December 1st, 1997, that came to know Christ as his Savior. I see you in your circumstances when you were there at your spot, when you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and He washed you of your sins... And birthed you into the family of God. Made you a child of the King. That's what I see when I read this passage. And this morning, I want to take just a few moments and give you, uh, if I can, a bit of a testimonial experience of what David is going through. And if you've been saved, you know what David's talking about here. And he speaks of three things that every single believer has experienced when they've come to know the Lord. Uh, Look with me again in verse number 1 and hear David's testimony. He says, I waited patiently. Patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. In verse 2, he says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. Now, David is speaking of this difficult circumstance, and he says that the God of heaven looked down upon him with tenderness. Could I say that every believer has experienced the tenderness of the Lord? Do you know that God didn't have to show grace to us? God didn't even have to blink an eye at us. Uh, God could have never saved a single soul and still been God. It's just the grace and tenderness of God that He looked upon you and that He looked upon me. I think sometimes we try to set these standards for God to maintain His Godship. We say, well, you know, God is a love. God had to save me. No, God didn't have to save you. Now, He bound Himself by His Word, but He chose to do that. God would have been just as much God if He had let every single man, woman, and child die and split hell wide open. That wouldn't have made him any less God. It's just the grace of God that any of us know Christ as our Savior. 
That's grace right there. And David speaks of this tenderness. And I would say that there's three types of people that we see here that the tenderness of God is shared with or expressed to. I would say, first off, that God has shown His tenderness to the waiting people. What did David say? He said, I waited patiently on the Lord. Boy, I don't guess there's anything harder in life than waiting, is there? When you know something's going to happen or you're hoping something's going to happen, but you know what we really hate about the feeling of waiting? It's the feeling of helplessness. When you're waiting, usually it's because there's not a thing that you can do about it. Do you know that every single sinner in this world is waiting on something to come along and change their life? I don't know where we've gotten this attitude in our life uh, that Christ can't save sinners anymore, that sinners aren't interested in salvation anymore. Listen, I know we live in a hell-bound world. I know we live in a wicked world. But I know that this world is just as lost as it's ever been. I know that if a man dies and goes to hell, he's just as lost, whether he be moral, whether he be religious, whether he be wicked, whether he be infidel. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter what the politics of this world are. It does not matter what the morality of this world is. Uh, the, those that die without Christ are going to the same devil's hell as those that died 2,000 years ago without Christ. They're still waiting on hope and waiting on help. And you may remember what it was like when you lived without Christ and you knew there was something missing in your life. You couldn't describe it. You couldn't say what it was. And maybe you weren't even aware that you was missing it all that bad. But you just knew there was a loneliness and a helplessness that you could do nothing about. And you were waiting on someone to come along. Can I say I'm thankful the waiting is over in my life? Uh, can I say that when I drank of that fountain, it satisfied me that I might never thirst again. I'm not looking for anything new, and I know there's nothing better. I'm not looking for something else to satisfy. I'm not looking for something else in my life. I mean, listen, God's blessed me with some wonderful things. God's blessed me with a wonderful wife, a wonderful child, wonderful church, a wonderful calling in life. But can I say that if every one of those was ripped away, I'd still have satisfaction in Jesus Christ this morning. I, there's nothing else I'm waiting on to fulfill my life. And you may say, well, preacher, I don't feel like that. Well, maybe you're still waiting. Maybe you're still waiting. Maybe you've got religion, but you don't have a relationship. Uh, maybe you know of Him, but you don't know Him. Can I say this morning that if you're waiting for something, Christ is still the answer. I would say that He extends tenderness to the waiting ones, but I would say that He extends tenderness to the wounded ones. It's interesting that the Bible says a horrible Pit. We use that term horrible all the time. You may have said uh, one time to your wife that this cooking is horrible. You only said it once, amen, but you may have said it one time. This is horrible. You know what the word horrible really means? It has the idea of an uproar, of the instilling of horror in something. And this word is used over and over again in the Bible, dealing with the idea of noise and uproar and destruction. When it's talking about a horrible pit, uh, we imagine that what David is speaking of is the idea of being cast into a pit and being wounded as a result of it. Not being placed gently in it, but tumbling into it and suffering from it. Uh, can I say that when he's talking about a horrible pit, he's talking about a wounded pit. Do you know that every single sinner was wounded by a fall? I think back to Mephibosheth in the Old Testament, uh, the grandson of Saul, the son of Jonathan. And uh, oh, what a picture of a sinner that he is, uh, because the Bible speaks of him being lame on both his legs. Do you know how he came by that lameness? Uh, whenever they were fleeing the city, the Bible says that his nurse was carrying him, and she tripped and fell, and he fell on his legs, and it caused him to be wounded. Uh, do you know that you and I, uh, as sinners, we've been made wounded by a fall? 
Now you say, well, preacher, I haven't fallen any time soon. Well, no, it wasn't you who fell. It was our great, 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 and on and on and on granddaddy and uh, grandmama that fell. When Adam and Eve fell into depravity, it cast all of humankind into sinfulness and wickedness. And we were wounded in this fall. Could I say not only by our nature, but by our actions, the sinner is wounded as well. Uh, boy, I've never seen a world in such turmoil as it is today, have you? Uh, we <clears throat> talk about it quite often, the turmoil that this world is in. And it's amazing the destruction that is taking place in the lives of individuals. And I'm not talking about bombs going off in marketplaces. I'm not talking about shootings in movie theaters or schools. I mean, that's awful. But can I say that the uh, spiritual destruction that is taking place in this country far outweighs any physical destruction? The destruction of the home. Let me tell you something. The devil hates the home this morning. Do you know that? He'll do everything he can to destroy the home. And let me warn you, all you young people, and I'm right there with you. I'm in the same age group. Uh, those young married couples that we have this morning, Satan wants to destroy your home. He'll do everything he can to destroy it if he can. He wants to corrode it and corrupt it and annihilate it. And he knows that if he can destroy your home, the chances are he can destroy your kids. He hates the home. He hates the church. The church is under attack like it's never been under attack. There is a spiritual destruction taking place. And in this day that we live in, people are destroying themselves, wounding themselves with drugs, with alcohol, with illicit relationships, with pornography, uh, with pedophilia, with homosexuality, all of the perverse sins of this world. And sinners don't even know how bad they're hurting themselves. They don't even understand the destruction that they're causing. They're lost and undone and they're wounded. But could I say that God has a heart for broken things? All through the Word of God, you find that God's interested in broken things. It doesn't matter uh, whether it is the broken lamp of Gideon. It doesn't matter whether it's the broken bread uh, that feeds 5,000. It doesn't matter whether it's the broken body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's interested in broken things. God uses broken things. He's there to bind up and He's there to heal and He's there to make new and He's there to make fresh. Can I say that just as David experienced when he was wounded in his sin, experienced the tenderness of God. I'd say in my life as a 10-year-old boy, I experienced the tenderness of God. I didn't even know how wounded I was. Amen? I didn't even know how bad off I was. I just knew I was on my way to hell. And He showed tenderness to me. But I would say not only the waiting ones and the wounded ones, but I would say that God extends tenderness to the wretched ones. Look what He says. He said, He inclined unto me. You say, what does that mean? Well, most of us know what reclined is. We do too much of it, amen? you got that recliner at the house, and it probably looks all sad and broken down. It's sagging all over like some of us are, you know. And uh, It makes noises when you move it like some of us do. And uh, that old recliner sitting in your house, it means to lay backwards. Well, you say, what does incline? If recline means to lay backwards, incline means to stoop forward. Could I say that God wretched low? When he reached for you and me, he had to reach low because we had fallen so far. I, I, we don't recognize and acknowledge how sinful we really were because we don't see ourselves as God saw us. I, I think a lot of the problem in the world today is that sinners don't see themselves as God sees them and saints don't see themselves as God sees them. And so the sinner, he deals with pride. And the saint, a lot of time, he deals with guilt over sins that he's committed in his past. If we could only see ourselves as God sees us, it would change a lot of things. Hallelujah, that one of these days we'll be known even as also, uh, or we'll know even as also we're known. Amen? 
but the Bible, David says that when God heard me and heard my cry, He stooped down low to where I was at. You know that for each and every sinner, the very fact that God acknowledges them is evidence of His stooping low. Uh, God is so high and lofty, and really it's beyond our human comprehension how high and lofty that God truly is. I mean, God's so high and lofty that perfect angels must cover their face and their feet if they're to fly around Him. I mean, God is so holy that at His voice the earth will shake. God is so holy uh, that in His presence men would fall down as dead. God's so holy that He's a consuming fire and He could consume this world with His holiness. That's how holy God is. Now you say, What's the good news? Well, the good news is this. God's that holy, but He loved us enough that through the person of Jesus Christ, He acknowledges us and He inclines unto us. David speaks of the tenderness that the saints experience. But I would say that secondly, look at verse number 2 with me again. Not only did He hear Him, not only did He notice Him, but it says in verse 2, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. I would say, and by the way, you know, he couldn't do that unless there was some contact made. You know it? Not only has the saint experienced his tenderness, but the saints has experienced his touch. God has connected with us through the person of Jesus Christ. Through the cross of Calvary, a bridge to heaven was built and was constructed and a means for us to have a relationship with God. Hey, God did not just bring us out. God's bringing us through and God's bringing us in. Amen? Through the person of Jesus Christ. I would say there's two things spoken of here. I would say that first off, we see the grace of His touch. I like this. I wrote it down because I wanted to read it to you. This interested me. Uh, One commentator wrote and said that if if a legalist came by this pit, he'd preach a sermon about the dangers of the pit. If a religionist came by this pit, he'd talk about the steps the sinner could take to help him get out of that pit. If a pessimist walked by, he'd tell the sinner that he's just going to die in that pit. If an optimist walked by, he'd tell the sinner that he'd seen a lot worse pits than that. If a realist walked by, he'd tell the man just to accept the pit that he was in. But listen to this. But if Jesus came by, he'd get down in the pit and get the man out of it. That's the grace that David's speaking about. You can't get a man out of a pit unless you get in the pit with him. Uh, Do you know that Jesus Christ got in the pit with us at Calvary? The Bible said that He was uh, made in the likeness of men. It behooved Him to be made in the likeness of men. The Bible says that uh, though He was God, uh, He made Himself of no reputation, but took upon Him uh, the form of man and became as man. Uh, Do you realize that when Christ incarnated Himself, He became just like us into the pit? You say, well, no, preacher, because He didn't have a sin nature. And I agree with you, He didn't. But He took care of that on Calvary. On Calvary. The Bible says He didn't just bear our sin. The Bible says He became our sin. Uh, The Bible says uh, that He was made sin for us. He got down into the pit where we were at. Now, you won't find another God in any other religious structure that would do that for its adherents or believers. And I understand that there's no God but one, uh, but in the world's minds, they don't believe there's any gods or they believe there's a lot of gods. Isn't that right? Uh, And uh, do you know that you won't find Buddha getting down in the pit with his followers? 
You won't find Muhammad getting down in the pit or Allah coming down off the moon. They believe in a moon god. God help us. They won't, they won't, uh, but you won't find them talking about Allah getting down off the moon and climbing into the pit with his children. Uh, you won't find Confucius crawling into the pit with his children. You better believe you won't find a pope or a bishop or a cardinal climbing down in the pit with their belief. They do everything they can to throw up a barrier between themselves. Uh, they try to make themselves as the go-between between God and man. I'm thankful we've already got a go-between between God and man. I'm thankful that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. I'm thankful it was took care of at Calvary. And I'm thankful that at Calvary, uh, He didn't just tell me I was in an awful shape. He didn't just tell me there's worse pits than I'd been in. But Christ went up on a cross and went down in the pit to rescue my soul from hell. I'm thankful for the grace of His touch, but I'm thankful for the glories of His touch. You know what He says? He says, He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. We see the power of His touch. Miry clay. What is miry clay? Well, if you've ever been out uh, when it's rained real bad in some of these fields, you know what miry clay is. I was watching uh, on the TV uh, this thing about a horse that got stuck in... uh, Let me tell you something. Horses are beautiful animals, but they get stuck all the time. You know that? Uh, If you watch these TV programs, every every third segment is about some horse getting stuck somewhere, uh, getting stuck in a a pit or in a lake, uh, in an ice-covered lake, in a tree, in a a cat. I mean, just just crazy places that horses get stuck. And I was watching about this horse uh, that had uh, fell off down into a mud pit. And that horse had started trying to free itself. And the more it tried to free itself, the deeper it went into the pit. This miry clay that's being spoken of is akin to the idea of quicksand, a mud that creates a suction and pulls the person down in it, down deeper. And you know what I thought about? I thought about the fact that the harder you fight the more you entrench yourself. You know, the harder the sinner tries to get himself out of the pit, the more entrenched he becomes in it. I'd a lot sooner witness to a broken drunk than I would uh, a, a sophisticated moralist. Amen? Yeah, you, you talk to a broken drunk or an addict or a prostitute. You talk to someone whose marriage has fallen apart. You talk to someone uh, who's fallen ill, and they'll, they'll listen to you. You know why? They've quit trying to get themselves out of the pit. But you talk to these people that have everything figured out, and they're just deeper entrenched and deeper entrenched. Do you know that it doesn't matter how deep? It doesn't matter whether it is the drunk on the street, and it doesn't matter whether it's the uh, greatest moralist and religionist you've ever met. Do you know that the power of the touch of God is strong enough to pull anybody out of the miry clay? Uh, Do you know that you may be deep in the depths of sin or you may be deep in the depths of your own morality and your own philosophical system, but whatever it is, and you may have loved ones that you'd say, oh, preacher, God could never save them. They're too deep in the clay. They're too deep in the clay. I'm here to tell you that the Lord's hand is not shortened that He cannot save, nor His ear heavy that He cannot hear. He's able to save today doesn't matter what they're in or what they're going through or what they've been through or what they're headed towards. The power of God, if they're willing to turn to Jesus Christ, He's able to save them out of it. We see the power of His touch, but we see the provision of His touch. The Bible says, set my feet upon a rock. You see, God didn't just pull us out. He had a place prepared for us. 
That rock is a picture of Jesus Christ over and over again in the Word of God. Uh, a rock is likened to Christ and vice versa. And you know that when God saved you, listen to me, when God saved you, He didn't just wipe the clay sling. Uh, he changed who you were in Jesus Christ. Uh, he provided for you all the richness and blessings of the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, he did not just, listen, He did not just redeem you, He reconciled you. He did not just reconcile you, He sanctified you. He did not just sanctify you, He justified you. He made you a child of God and seated you together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what God did for you when He saved you. He didn't just get you out of the pit. He put you somewhere that mattered. I've always loved to read uh, the story of Moses when God uh, wanted to pass by with His glory and He placed him in the cleft of the rock and covered him with His hands. It's always told me that there was a place for him. Do you know that for each and every sinner in this world, it may be your children, your grandchildren, or it may be you sitting here this morning, uh, do you know that there's a place for you? Uh, Whenever God was telling Moses about it, He said, Moses, there's a place by me in this rock. Do you know that for each and every one of you, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, The blood of Calvary is sufficient to save any and all. And do you know that this morning, He doesn't just want to bring you out of the pit. He's got a place prepared for you. We see the provision, but we see the promise. The promise of His touch. You know what it says? It says, and established my goings. Uh, That literally means He set His feet straight and put them on a pathway. Do you know that we have the, the promises of God for tomorrow? Uh, You may have difficulty today, but you have the promises of God for tomorrow. Uh, I tell you, friend, we don't we don't cash in at that bank of promises often enough. I mean, I'm not a health and wealth. I'm not a name it and claim it. I'd be wearing nicer clothes and have a bigger house if I did. Amen. Uh, I'm not a name it and claim it preacher. But let me tell you something. God has got some promises for his children. Not that not words we've put in his mouth but words He's given us from His mouth. The Bible says that it's by these uh, promises, exceeding great and precious promises, that we're made partakers of the divine nature. We ought to start cashing in on some of these promises. You say, well, what kind of promises? Well, how's this one? Try this one on. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. How, how's this one? Perfect peace. Perfect peace uh, will He have whose mind is stayed on thee. Uh, Let me tell you something. God has not just got us out of the pit, and He's not just put us in a good place. He's set us on a pathway that we're to walk, instructional for our daily life. But He's also given us a destination of a heavenly home that we're promised. Uh, Some of you are just hoping you hold out. I'm not hoping to hold out. I know He's going to hold on to me. I have the promise, I have the promise, I have the promise of a heavenly home through the blood of Jesus Christ. Not through my own righteousness or ability, but because He's established my goings. He's set me on a path. He's got a destination for me. And I have the promise of God, not just that He'll send me on, but that He'll walk with me and talk with me, and that I am His own. We see His touch spoken of. But we see not only uh, that the saints have the experience of His tenderness and the experience of His touch, but they have the experience of His transformation. Verse number 3, the psalmist says, He put a new song in my mouth. We see that the private man is transformed. We only have a song on our lips if we have a song in our hearts. We only have joy on the outside if we have joy on the inside. David says, ever since he brought me out of that pit, friend, I've got something to sing about. 
Ever since He saved me, I've got something to tell. Ever since He saved me, there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. He says He put a new song in my mouth. I believe Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world. Uh, I tell you, there's a lot of things that concern me when I signs that you see in the lives of people. You know, when, when your kids was little, or maybe you've got a pet now, and you can tell when they're sick. You know, you can tell by the way they're acting when they're sick. As a pastor, sometimes you can tell when people are sick. Sometimes you can't, but sometimes you can. Let me tell you what: uh, one of the most uh, sobering signs for me as a pastor is when I see someone lose the joy that they had in their life. You can mark her down that something's wrong when people ain't happy in the Lord. I'm not talking about doing backflips or shuffling or snorting or stomping. I'm just talking about that effervescent joy uh, that comes from the soul and heart of the believer. I'm talking about the love of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There is a joy that we ought to have as believers. One of my greatest fears is that in our uh, camp or stripe of churches that they downplay the joy that the believer ought to have. And, uh, you know, they, they're these starchy folks, you know, round mouth singing folks that they've, uh, you know, they're too sophisticated to get excited and to get happy. Buddy, they'd have a hard time with David, wouldn't they? David danced in the Lord. What are you going to do with that? Right? David danced before the Lord. What are you going to do before that? Huh? Now, he wasn't out there doing the booting, scooting boogie. But it talks about a joyous leaping upward. David had a joy in the Lord. He had a joy in the Lord. And you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, you'd fit in with that crowd because his own wife felt that way about him. The Bible says she despised him. She despised him when she saw it. And there's always a crowd that don't like it when you get excited in the Lord. There's always that crowd uh, that they just too sophisticated with that. Hey, I'd rather have shout than clout, wouldn't you? I'd rather have joy. I'd rather have joy than have sophistication. And I think we need to get back to the time when saints have a joy in the Lord. Uh, when, the, when the Savior saves a sinner, he puts a joy in his heart and life. The private man is transformed, but we see that the public man is transformed. Look at what he says. He's talking about the public and outward expression of salvation in the life of the believer. Uh, he says in verse 3, And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. We ought to be a praising people. We ought to talk about what God's done. Let me tell you why the world thinks that God's dead. They ain't heard us talk about Him in a while. I mean, usually, uh, and I don't know, you're probably, uh, some of you are at this stage in life where when you quit hearing about somebody, you start checking the obituaries for them, right? You're at that stage. And be honest now, some of you are at that stage. Some of you think, I ain't heard from her in forever. I'm going to check the obituary. Let me tell you something. The world's checking the obituary for God because believers have quit talking about Him. Uh, they're, they're trying to find out where is this God, who is He, uh, that our forefathers talked about and sang about and preached about and wrote about. Where is He? Because believers have quit praising God like they ought to. We ought to have it dripping continually from our lips, the goodness of God in our life. Uh, you say, well, you know, I'm no theologian preacher. You don't have to be a theologian to praise God. Uh, you don't have to have every little uh, I dotted and T crossed. You don't have to have a Romans road or a Greek road or a Medo-Persian road uh, to praise God. You just have to talk about what God's doing in your life. Hey, if you woke up this morning, that's because God woke you up this morning. We ought to praise Him. That's what the psalmist said. said, I, I slept and arose, for the Lord sustained me. If you're drawing a breath, you're doing better than a lot of folks. Uh, if you're walking on your own two legs, you're doing better than a lot of folks. If you're able to see even anything in front of you, you're doing better than a lot of folks. 
And we ought to praise God for what he's doing. He becomes a praising man, but he becomes a proclaiming man. Look at the effect his life has. He says, even praise unto our God. And I'll close with this. He says, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. David says, because of the way I lived after he brought me out of that pit, a lot of people are going to see it and know there's something real and genuine to it. Something you'll find about Christians, New Testament Christians, wherever they went, they caused a stir. (laughs) If you read through the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, you'll find the word uproar on page after page after page. That's my kind of preacher, amen? I like the kind of preacher that when he goes places, there's an uproar. And everywhere Paul went, he just glowed the presence and power of God. People could see in his life that there was something different to the degree that uh, many hated him and wanted to kill him. Uh, Most of us are too busy trying to hide that we're Christians, let alone take a stand for Christ. Most of us are too busy worrying that our co-workers are going to find out that we're one of them fanatic Christians. Hey, listen, God help us. We ought to be fanatic. We'll be fanatic about football. We'll be fanatic about baseball. We'll be fanatic about basketball. We ought to be fanatic about Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. If there's anything in life you're going to be fanatic about, it ought to be about God, about your Savior, about the one that brought you up out of this horrible pit. I wonder if sinners looked at your life, if it'd point them towards Calvary. I wonder if they looked at the way you live on a day-to-day basis, would it point them towards Calvary? Would they see it and see a joy that's uh, full of glory? Would they look at it and see a testimony that points to the Savior? Would they see your life and see a seriousness about it uh, in the way that you live and a passion to serve God in such a way that they'd look and say, that man's different, that woman's different. There must be something that happened to them. I think a lot of the reason we don't get as many opportunities uh, or open doors, whatever you want to call it, for people uh, to witness to them is people don't see something different in our life. (laughs) It's just natural. Whenever Moses saw the burning bush, you know what he did? He turned aside to see this sight. Maybe if we was on fire for Jesus Christ, we'd have more sinners turning aside to see this sight. We'd have more opportunity. They'd say, what happened to you? You'd say, well, one day I fell into a horrible pit. The miry clay began to swell up around my feet. I began to sink down. It seemed like the harder I fought, the deeper I went. And I was sure that all was done. And I was hopeless. And I was helpless. And I was just laying there, just waiting for someone to show mercy. And then a man walked by, had scars in his hand. He looked down into my pit. And he called my name. He heard me when I cried. He didn't run for help. And he didn't just pray for me. And he didn't just talk to me and keep me company. But he climbed down into the pit, lifted me out with his strong arm. When he got me out, he didn't leave me alone. He cleaned me up. He washed me off. And he set me upon a solid rock. He set my feet headed in the right direction. He taught me a new song to sing, how to praise God and how to live for Him. You might find there's a lot more people in that pit that are looking to get out than you think there are. You might find there's a lot more people in that pit that are waiting, looking for someone to tell them about a man that can get them out of that pit than you think there are. Let me tell you something. God's been good to us. He's changed. He saved us. He's changed us. He's given us a new song. I think we ought to start singing it, don't you?